As I said before, my family just got back from vacation. We were in Mexico. Uh, it was actually the first time that I have ever taken a vacation trip to Mexico. I've been on mission trips and all that kind of stuff, but never had I gone there just to relax and enjoy myself. It was really great, and it was really good to spend time together as a family, for us to experience some of the history and uh, the different cultural elements, to eat lots of really good food, uh, for us to spend time together uh, and uh, for me to watch my kids swimming in the pool or to go sit along the beach, all that kind of stuff was really great. That's kind of the Instagram version of it, right? I also went with my family. My family was stuck with me during that time, so not all of it was always wonderful. Uh, the reality also included uh, one time we were, uh, so we were in the Cancun area, and uh, we went to these Mayan ruins that were really amazing in Tulum, and we had uh, at least, like, was it three or four really hard downpours while we were there, and there is no place to hide, and Kurt did not have an umbrella, Okay, so we were soaked, and I'm kind of impressed, actually, that my phone didn't die from it, because I was completely wet. And so if you look at the pictures, all of us are just wet. We have a couple of videos of us trying to huddle under the one person's um, umbrella, and you can get, like, this far, so the rest is just dipping, dripping on your back, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it was, but it was beautiful. It was amazing. Uh, I, I didn't think, though, I didn't. I didn't have to think that much. That was kind of nice. That was a nice uh, moment. But, uh, you know, the reality also included that I, there were times when I felt seasick. There were times when you feel that, all that kind of stuff. But I think about this one moment. We were walking along uh, this beautiful avenue, and it was, it was warm. It was like 90 degrees, and it was humid. I didn't think that I would have the same thing when I got back here. But anyway, it was hot and everything. And I, I, the thing was is that it was beautiful, um, so it was beautiful, but there were some hard things. But it should have never escaped my mind that what we were doing, the very act of being on vacation, was a luxury. And I should just remember that. But somehow it does miss, I, you miss that sometimes. And I remember one morning we were walking along and it was particularly hot and the sun was on me. And, I was, and as I was going, I said, I'm hot. This bugs me. Right? And it was hot. And but it wasn't like I was doing road construction to try to, like, pay for my family to have food on the table. I was on vacation. I was going from an air-conditioned apartment, walking along a beautiful avenue to go sit in the shade at a beach at, by crystal clear waters. And in between, I was complaining, right? I'm hot. I don't want this. So if you don't, if, if when you think about my small complaint at that time and you think, yeah, that, that's not worthwhile, then I am behind you. I think that is the right way. It does not carry very much weight. I would like for us to talk a little bit about complaining today. And I think that there are a couple of different kinds of complaints. The first one is that kind of I am inconvenienced kind of complaining. The one that Kurt was doing walking along a beautiful avenue in the heat. I'm inconvenienced. This is not the way I like it. I want my coffee to be hotter than this. They put too much sugar in my thing. I don't know. Any of that. that I'm inconvenienced. And the right answer, kind of a right response to I am inconvenienced, sometimes is just simply, so what? So you're inconvenienced. That's how it goes. That's life, right? That's life. But there's, a, there's another kind of complaint that we can bring, which is this is not the way it's supposed to be. 
And that's a very different kind of complaint. God made our world good, but in our good world, there is crime and there is pain. There is sadness and grief. We experience injustice. And these are not the way that things are supposed to be. So when we cry out to God about those things, we don't expect him to say, wah, right? Because that's, that's when we're inconvenienced, you can say, wah. But when it's, it's, this is a large issue, this is a big issue. God, this is not the way that you intended it to be. This isn't the way that it should be. So what are we supposed to do when we see that kind of violence or injustice in the world? And what are we supposed to do with that complaint? Well, that complaint, of course, we're supposed to turn to God in prayer. But what happens? Well, I, I, we expect God to say yes to that prayer. And God does sometimes say yes to that prayer. I, I, I think you, um, maybe you heard stories about God answering amazing prayer requests. I'll even say, I thank you guys. Maybe you know, uh, during the winter, the big saga for us was that my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. We went through all of that kind of stuff. And she, she just recently completed her radiation treatment. We're really glad for that. Thank you, God. Uh, so the doctor is saying right now she is cancer-free. God, that's amazing. Um, praise God. But that, you know, but that, wasn't, that hasn't been the case for everybody, right? That wasn't the case for my mom. My mom was diagnosed with cancer, and she died, and she was 62. Uh, maybe you know people who have also had armies of people praying for them, but they still pass away. You still experience all the pain of that moment. So what are you supposed to do when you prayed fervently and you prayed faithfully and you prayed, all, asked everybody else to pray along with you, but God still doesn't answer your prayer? God doesn't seem to act. And, and you prayed for that thing and the conflict is still there. Your, your loved one uh, still dies or maybe that person doesn't come back into, into relationship. And God is silent sometimes. So why is God silent? What, what do we do? Does it, is it because nobody is there? And I think that that's part of our great fear is that maybe God isn't there or God doesn't care. Somehow that seems a lot worse. So what do we do with our complaint then? Because we've got a complaint still, but what do we do with that complaint? And if you have ever cried out to God and you didn't get an answer... You might feel some real consolation to know that there are other people who wrestle with this. Uh, I've wrestled with this. The people maybe in your row have wrestled with this or people watching along with you. And you might feel some, some real consolation also to know that there are people in Scripture who also wrestle with this. There's a consolation and a challenge that we're going to get in our Scripture today. Because a lot of times when we think about the Bible, you think about people who had amazing faith, people who, who can kind of get past any circumstance. They, they're not regular people, uh, but they're people who, who are never trouble, troubled in their faith. But the prophet we're going to look at today, his name is Habakkuk, he was troubled in his faith. Because he, he believes in God, but that's kind of the problem for him. He knows there is a God, but God hasn't been seeming to act. Like he's saying, God, why, why are you allowing this? This is not the way it's supposed to be. But you're letting this thing happen. I think that Habakkuk is going to be pretty helpful for us. And he's going to help us learn to complain well, I think. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to understand your scripture today. May your Holy Spirit be at work 
in our lives, and especially right now as we hear your word, as we think about how Jesus is king and how that shapes our understanding of the cosmos. We pray that you will help us to know, to hear the words of your scripture and to apply them to our lives this week so that you may be glorified, so that we may trust in you and really rest in you in a new way. We pray in your name. Amen. This summer, we have been taking a whirlwind tour through the prophets of the Bible, a part maybe you have not read very much. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you may not have read all of these. And what we're doing as a church is trying to read through it to get an, an, an overall view, a, a, a big picture view of what's going on in the prophets. And I invite you to read along with us. This next week, we're going to be reading in the book of Jeremiah. If you have your own Bible, you can just read that. We're going to read through to Jeremiah 17. So you can read along with us in that. Uh, so we were reminded in the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Roberto told us about this, we were supposed to focus our discipleship on Christ, like he's the center of the scriptures. And I want to encourage you, hey, you know what, it was wonderful that Pastor Roberto got to be here. He's the pastor of our sister church, Nueva Esperanza, there's a Spanish-speaking church in the afternoon. It's important for us to have a relationship with them. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. And you know what, he spoke in English the whole time. He was scared to do it in English. I'm so proud of him that he did it. And uh, so uh, I want us to, we need to be in relationship together. The kingdom of God looks more, we look more like the kingdom of God with them than apart. So it's important for us to remember that relationship together. And I'm so proud of them. They, uh, pound for pound, they are doing more ministry than we are. And I'm so glad for that relationship with them. And I'm thankful for him in particular. So thank you. You know what, sometimes it's a little hard when somebody has an accent. And I want to encourage you. To remember, anytime you have somebody, hear somebody speaking with an accent, it means they speak another language very well. Uh, remember that. You should hear what I sound like in Spanish. It doesn't sound good. Um, uh, then last week, David Chun uh, was talking to us from the end of the book of Isaiah, and he saw Isaiah's challenge for us to see this servant king, and that we, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to be followers of that servant king, that we're supposed to be people who follow in footsteps. So this last week, if you were reading along with us, we read the books of Zephaniah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, probably parts that you had not necessarily read. And I love this one that we're going to focus on, this guy Habakkuk, today. Uh, so besides having a super funny name uh, that people maybe even fight about how to pronounce, uh, if you said it a different way, that's all right. You can call him Habakkuk, whatever. I, what, his friends probably just call him Kuki. I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. So, um, but... What's really interesting about this book is rather than it being a dialogue between the prophet and the people, which is a lot of the, the prophetic books, he says, this is what God is saying to you people. This one, what really stands out about this one is the whole dialogue is between Habakkuk and God. You're getting this, this intimate view of Habakkuk's relationship with God. You're getting welcomed into this whole dialogue as he's having with God, and he's not real happy. In fact, he complains a couple of times. <laughs> And it's not an I am inconvenienced kind of complaint. It's this is not the way it's supposed to be, God, when he talks to him. Let's, let's read some of this. This is from Habakkuk. And I'm, um, I'm going to read a couple of passages. We're going to focus in chapter 3. But I want to make sure that we get the, the overall view of what's going on here. The, so he starts off, the whole book starts off with a complaint. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord? Must I call for help, but you do not listen? 
or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. If, if you, does it sound very modern to you? Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So God seems to, in this situation, it seems like God's having more patience with injustice than even Habakkuk is able to have. He's like, God, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And, and if you're not going to act, it looks really bad for you. And I, I'm calling out to you, you're supposed to be the God who responds to this. You're supposed to care about this stuff, but it doesn't seem like you do. And it, I, I have a complaint, and I feel like it's a righteous complaint. How long am I supposed to cry out to you, God? How long must I call for help and you don't listen? It feels terrifying to pray and feel like your prayers are, are hitting a wall or, or falling off into the void. Shouldn't we expect God to do something? Then God replies to him, this is verse 5, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. This is going to freak you out, Habakkuk. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not if you were told. I'm raising up a ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole to seize dwellings not their own. So God ends up replying to Habakkuk, uh, but his reply almost makes things worse. If God's inaction was bad, he says, just wait till you see what my action is going to look like. It's going to feel terrible. He said, I'm going to send the Babylonians, these people that you've heard about that are terrible. Everybody's been afraid of them. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, about this coming invasion. Now I'm going to send the Babylonians to come and invade your country. And, and I'm not just letting them invade, but I'm sending them. It, it's worse. It's worse than what it sounds like. Habakkuk is like, yeah, you're right. I am kind of amazed. I don't really like that. Don't like this, God. I love that we're welcomed into this kind of conversation with him. He says, no, that's, that's not really what I wanted. Um, so there's another complaint from Habakkuk. And he gives this plaintive cry. He says, God, remember your covenant. You made promises to us. How can you do this? It's for God's reply. He brings his complaint to God. And he waits. And God does reply, and he talks about how, well, the people have turned their back on me, all that kind of stuff. And, and Habakkuk agrees with him. You're right. We have done that kind of stuff. End of the book. I think, I think he wants God to give a yes to him, but he doesn't get that. He says, yeah, it's going to be terrible. And Habakkuk basically has to come to grips with that. And then... And look, this is in Habakkuk 3.16. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines. I want to say, by the way, I learned this first from a song in Spanish. Actually, we sing sometimes in in Spanish-speaking churches, they sing this. Vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. He, he begins 
just before that, when he talks about the fig trees, he says, I trembled inside when I heard this, God's reply. My lips quivered with fear. I wanted to back up a little bit and do this. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. So he's, his whole body is freaking out. He, he says, response he has. He's waiting for this. But then there's this utter destruction that's coming. If, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and the grapes, there are no grapes on the vines. It, I think it's really hard for us not to feel... You feel the sadness in that. And go ahead, Ray, go ahead and put it back in one verse, will you? Um, you feel a lot of the sadness in the, when he says there's no, there are no grapes on the vine, the, the olive crop might fail. But I think it's really hard for us in our modern day to feel the panic in those words. There's nothing to eat. And, and not the like me coming back from vacation, like, wow, there's not very much in the cupboards kind of way, right? Like a, there is nothing. My children and I are probably going to die kind of way. There's nothing. There's no figs. There are no grapes. There, there's, there are no olive. The fields, all of the wheat is gone. Uh, even the flock are gone, the cattle. There's nothing. And this is a real possibility for Habakkuk and his whole country. I think he's playing out the invasion to its logical, logical conclusion. If this happens, this is going to be terrible. It's a worst-case scenario, isn't it? I wonder how many of you are kind of like worst-case scenario kind of people. Are you, are you kind of like a worst-case scenario? You think of that? You can think of the bad thing that's happening. You didn't even want to show your hand. You thought, worst-case scenario, he's going to call on me. And that, you, so you already thought that through. Okay. Uh, some of us are really good at thinking through worst-case scenarios. Some of us are even embarrassed that we do think about worst-case scenarios. Um, my, my wife, Karen, and I, we lived in Paris a long time ago. We lived in France for a long time, but we lived in Paris as part of that uh, right at the beginning of our marriage. And uh, we focused during that time, we uh, focused on reaching out to university students, Muslim university students, and sharing the good news of Jesus with them. Wonderful. It was great. Uh, we lived in an apartment, and we loved having people over in our apartment. And our apartment was on the fourth floor. And there was one stairwell, one little tiny elevator that would take you up there, but a wooden staircase that would take you up to the fourth floor where it was a lot of times. And, uh, but one of the things that was really funny about this place um, is there was, uh, it was an old building, and there was no fire escape. My brother Ross, I remember this really vividly when he came to visit us. He came in and saw our apartment. He's like, this place is great. What would you do if there's a fire? It's like kind of the first thing. And I said, I have three plans. And I had a plan. And I, I, I talked him through all these things. And my wife says, what? You're, like you're thinking about if there's going to be a fire? And I'm like, you don't even want to know all the things I've thought through. Okay. So I... Plan. And for me, the nice part about that was I had a plan. So if things happened badly, then I kind of knew what I was going to do. Like I had an action plan because I had thought through the worst case scenario. I had a plan if worst. So if you are a worst case scenario kind of person, I want to tell you there is some good news for you here that you have probably never thought about the fact that that might be a superpower that can be fuel for prayer like it is for Habakkuk. It's fuel for prayer, because maybe you've just been embarrassed about that in the past. You're like, I don't want to tell everybody about all the things that I think about. Because when you go there, you go to a dark place. 
You go to the bottom of that well. But what we're going to see here, Habakkuk, he goes to that well. But what happens is that God can shine a light even to the bottom of the well. God is going to meet him even right there. It's fuel for prayer. So for Habakkuk, he brings this worst-case scenario to God. And it's at that point, right there, that's where God meets him. Faith is shining a light in that dark well. Because Habakkuk doesn't say, he doesn't just give up. Everything's the worst. It is the worst. No, he says this, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And that's amazing faith to have in response to scenario stuff that he just said. And, and before you feel guilty, like, you know what, I can think about the worst case thing, but I'm not going to think, but I will rejoice in God. Not every prophet in the Bible, everyone in the Bible has a good reaction. I can think of a couple of prophets, even prophets right off the top of my head. Elijah, uh, he, he came uh, and he sat beneath a broom bush and he sat down and he prayed. When things were bad, he prayed that he would die. He says this, this is in 1 Kings 19. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. And God gives him food and sleep. And uh, there's, We're going to read this one coming up, Jonah. Jonah says the same thing. Now, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Because he doesn't want to see God doing the thing that he didn't want him to do. So, I think those guys should have taken some lessons from Habakkuk. He's got some things to, to teach them and for us. So we don't have to feel bad. You're, if you're on par with other prophets in the Bible, that's okay. We're gonna... And he says, even if all that happens, even if the worst case scenario happens, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And you might kind of still need a nap and a snack like Elijah. That's okay. But you can rejoice. And you can rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice even in our difficulties, even in the worst case scenario, even in great trial, even in great grief. Why? And it says, because of who God is. He is the God of my salvation. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk, he focuses on God, not on his circumstances. He says, this is my God. I know I can trust him. And this is not the way that it's supposed to be, but I can trust you, God. And I can come with my complaint to you. Rejoice in the God of my salvation. Because it's in weakness that God's power is going to shine through us. And that's what the Apostle Paul knew. He knew about praying fervently and not getting the answer that he expected or even wanted. He talks about, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about how he prayed about this thorn in his flesh. And we don't know exactly what that was. I think it's probably better that we don't totally know. Uh, we can hear our story and his story about praying for the thing away. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am 
So the Apostle Paul sees his weakness as a point where he can be strong in God because God's own power is displayed in weakness. Christ's conquering of evil and death wasn't by amassing a big army and coming to conquer. He was brought low and he died, even death on a cross to win salvation for us. And then he was resurrected. And so we know that even death, even a, a terrible death, is not the last word. So when the prophet Habakkuk says, the God of my salvation, when we as Christians now, after Jesus, we know what that God of our salvation looks like even more than Habakkuk does. When we say, the God of my That is the same God who experienced himself the cruelty of the world, faced it on purpose. And we know that that this is the God who says those things, the terrible parts of the world, they aren't going to have the last word because I was resurrected and you are mine. The, The martyrs of the church who die for their faith, they also hold on to that promise. They were able to face their suffering and their death because they knew that even if the worst should come to pass, that even then they could rejoice in God, their Savior. Because the reality is, if our our joy is rooted in our circumstances, if it's rooted in our job satisfaction, if it's rooted in how we see ourselves as a parent, as a child, in our relationships, if it's rooted in any of our circumstances, the money in our bank account, when those things are not there or when those things are in conflict or when we, our health is having trouble, then we're not going to have joy. And so our joy can leave us. But if our joy is in something that can't be taken from us, then it doesn't matter what circumstances we face. If our joy is in this God of our salvation, this God, our Savior, then we're going to be more strong and confident no matter what circumstance we be in, no matter what we're going to walk into. We're going to be able to face those things. And you probably know people who have kind of faced difficulties in that way. It's amazing to see them do that, and we can encourage one another in that. And that's actually what Habakkuk says. He says, we see some of that faith coming out in strength. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. So he's his strength. Image that's given, it's funny, it's of a deer, not suddenly a lion, not a bear, right? I have strength, but not like that. The deer is sure-footed. It's able to walk confidently, standing on rocks. And it's, a, it's this image of faith as sure-footed walking on the rocks. So yeah, God is giving us strength, but it's a little bit different than what we thought. It's a humble kind of strength. And, and that helps us to understand we are, we are walking on God's strength. It helps, this is what is in Philippians 4.12. I, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And that's just after, in Philippians 4, Paul talks about having a bunch of trials and really difficult circumstances. But he sounds like somebody who's walking sure-footedly in difficult moments. That's, that's what we, we know that the difficult moments are going to come, right? 
We know that those times do come for us, and they're never at the right time. They're never what we expect, not the trial that we trained for or something, but they come. And what we want to do is to not lose our footing. That's what strength is going to look like. It doesn't look like you're the one who is able to do everything, but you just don't lose your footing. You stand strong in God because we have our vision on who God is, not even on ourselves. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread upon the heights. And one last thing, I kind of don't want us to miss at the end of the book of Habakkuk. It actually ends, if you're reading along with me, it says this. For the choir director, this prayer is to be accompanied by stringed instruments, which is kind of a throwaway thing most of the time, right? Like, oh, that's kind of fun, stringed instruments. Uh, Why would he put that there? It's a little detail, this little tag that's there. But it is part of the book. It's part of the scripture that was there. And what's interesting is that what that tells me is this whole section, at least, was meant to be a sung-out prayer. This whole thing was supposed to be something that people together would sing to remind each other, even if the grapevine even if there are no grapes on the vine, even if there are no figs on the tree, if there are, the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And, and it's, it's something to rehearse, to practice for the, when the time will come. And, and it's a reminder that we need other people to walk with us in faith. We, we need to sing that with other people because we know that when it's difficult for us, we're not going to be feeling it. Re- really... You most need Christian community. The time when you most need to hear the good news of the gospel are going to be the times when you don't feel like being a part at church. So we need to have this pattern of connecting with other believers about going to youth group, uh, about singing this song, even when it's not our time, so that when it does happen to us, that we have those words in our mind. Even if this thing comes to pass, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And I got to tell you, I'll just say on a personal level, I have heard from some of our recent widows and widowers that they have found real meaning, even in the depths of their grief, to know that other people are singing that song with them. It's meaningful. And we need to sing that song in difficulties because sometimes we can be kind of superficial. It's just part of life, I guess, I suppose. Uh, we can say praise God when things go well, uh, but can we, can we really praise God when things are not going well and when things don't go the way we want or if it's not the way it's supposed to be? So with that in mind, I, here's our challenge for this, and it, this is not a challenge you're going to get every week. I would like you to practice complaining to God, okay? But here's, so here's our challenge this week. I would like you to practice complaining to God, but let's do it in Habakkuk's way. We're going to do it in, in Habakkuk's way. So what I want you to do is you're going to bring your complaint to God, something real that's happening right now for you. Bring that complaint to God. What, what's the thing? It could either be something that is definitely happening right now or something that you fear could happen. Go there. Go all the way down and feel free to talk with God even in, about the worst case scenario. What I want you to do is to pause and then to repeat verses 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. 
And you might need to do that a couple of times for it to start to take. I don't know. We need to sing that song to ourselves a little bit more. We need to sing that song to our hearts so that we get it in there. And so to help you do that this week, we're gonna, I'm going to provide a couple of little sheets like this in the back. You can grab one on your way out if you've got it. I can uh, put it online uh, for those who are online. Uh, but I would love for you to complain well like Habakkuk. Put that in your Bible, and, and you can practice doing that this week. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's going to be easier for you to do that for things that immediately impact you or things that, that are bothering you right now, things that affect you personally, that's okay. Uh, you are grieving that illness or that broken relationship, and it's important for us to bring that to God in prayer. But I do want to challenge you to think about going a little further, to complain to God about things that are the way that they're not supposed to be. Complain about the spiritual state of our city. Uh, complain about the way that uh, uh, every age group is turning away from God in their own way. Complain about how our church community at times is just more committed to being comfortable or doing things that we, that we want to just survive week to week instead of necessarily sharing words of life to our friends and family. So I'm wondering if you'll be willing to complain with me to God this week. To complain because the thing is that life is going to happen to us. Life is going to happen. The violence and injustice of the world are going to break in in our lives. And sometimes the violence and injustice that's in my heart is also going to break out. And that's also wrong. And I need to complain to God and bring those things to him. But can you imagine what a difference it would make in our world? If Christians would not just stay down at the bottom of the well, but to say, God is there too, that I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. If we could grieve together the state of our marriage or ask God to do something. But maybe even to say, worst case scenario, even if, God, you, if you don't change their heart, I will worship you. We can acknowledge the coldness of our own kids' hearts toward God. We could bring things, terrible things in our community Say, hey, listen, if, if our community doesn't change, even if this thing happens, but you're still God. We wouldn't have to be people who, who hide and think that terrible things are just out there, but we would be able to be honest about the things in our own hearts. But we would still be hopeful. We can be honest but hopeful. I think that we would be people who could enter into dark places without being judgmental. I think we would be less jaded, less cynical. We would be people, I think, who would have good news to share with the world in every circumstance. I think that would be really good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of, that you gave to Habakkuk and even his own wrestling with you in faith. Lord, help us to complain to you well, to bring those things to you this week. Even if those things don't work, we want to rejoice in you because, because we have our eyes on you. You are the God of our salvation. And I know that that transcends my circumstances, even if it's hard. Help us to be people who, who have hope in dark places and to share that with other people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.